Today is June 16th. I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded our ninth episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Today's webinar was moderated by myself and Dave Nikolai. On the webinar were guests Dennis Toddy, uh, Director of the Midwest Climate Hub in Ames, Iowa, and Bruce Potter, IPM Specialist at the Southern, uh, Southwestern Research and Outreach Center in Lamberton. The guests and moderators discussed the hot and dry conditions and the weather outlook for the coming weeks and months as the crop season progresses. Bruce also updated us on pest issues to be watching as the season continues to be dry and hot. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on the current crop situation as well as crop and pest management topics. Uh, 30, 30 day in the upper left hand side, 90 day lower right hand side, um, percent of average precipitation. So the, the, the darker the red is, the, the more below average you are. Uh, the darkest, the, those brownish areas are 25% of average precipitation. So 30 days worst areas in the northern part of Minnesota over to the southwestern areas. Uh, southeast has had a little bit more over that time period, but you know, very few places have had much close to average precipitation, unfortunately. Now, the next, the, the well, here, here, the next one I'm going to show you here is soil moisture. We don't have good widespread soil moisture monitoring in the field. I know down at Lamberton and Wasika, they have in ground there, which is, is good for the local area, like to have a, a larger picture. Um, so this is a this is a national model, and I, I've been watching it for a couple of years. Actually, does a pretty good job overall. So again, the darker the brown area is, the the worse the soil moisture conditions are. And this is based on percentiles. So the lower the number, the lower percentile on a zero to hundred scale. Um, and you see nothing in in, in Minnesota that is uh, above near average or above average. And we have soil moisture. And actually, you go from the eastern Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa, over to Michigan, basically north of I, our, our kind of dividing line this year has been I-80. I, north of I-80 has been a real problem. South of I-80 has been mixed, but not too bad overall. And that kind of is the, the way it's continuing. Um, so that we have some really bad conditions. This is a combination of a lack of rainfall, obviously. But the other thing I haven't shown here, and I'm not going to bother showing right now, is really dry air, warm temperatures has led to high evap what we call evapotranspiration or, or what is the crop and what the crop is using and what the, the soil is losing to evaporation. Um, really very different this year than any year we've seen in a long time. Uh, one, the air is dry overall and because of the dry soils and, and crop not having a lot of moisture to work with, it's not transpiring a lot more moisture in the air. Those are, and those are our two main sources of moisture for the air, something off the Gulf of Mexico and what's coming off of a crop. So really dry soils overall. Okay, so that's kind of where we are right now. Not telling you anything you don't know, but kind of confirming the overall situation so that you're not alone also. Okay, yes, looking um, at, yes. Yeah, just make sure you're descriptive and we have a little podcast on the flip yep. side. So, yep. yep, yep. Okay, 
looking ahead at what we're looking at for the next seven days, this is a product, a computer model product of what is expected in the way of precipitation. And uh, southern Minnesota over to Mich over to northern Missouri and eastward over the next seven days has better chances of precipitation, could be inch, inch and a half, maybe two inches of precipitation in some of these areas. Areas out in the plains and further north of us have lesser chances of precipitation. Now, as you know what summertime convection is like, it's spottier. Um, I think we're going to get some rainfalls. Southern Minnesota has a better chance and other parts of the Corn Belt east of us have a better chance. I don't think everybody's going to get some. Uh, so there's going to be some winners and some losers, unfortunately. And then the other thing that I'm cautioning people is that even if you get, you know, an inch or two inches of rainfall at this point, uh, I'll let our crops guys address this, but that's maybe a week's worth of water to them right now. So it's going to go away quickly. So it's going to be good. It can help us, but this, this, this can't end here. And that's the unfortunate aspect is, is I, I, I'm not convinced this is going to be ongoing. Uh, looking ahead at the next eight to 14 days. So we move the, the, the week after that, we're in the third week of June. Um, the, the image on the left-hand side is our temperature, what are, our temperatures are likely over that time period. Cooler temperatures next week, and those cooler temperatures are, are more likely to continue into a bit more into the latter part of June for Minnesota, again, down to Missouri and over to the Eastern Corn Belt area. Uh, better chance over in the Eastern Corn Belt of being cooler than average. Precipitation-wise, a similar area, southern Minnesota down to, uh, you know, down to the Ohio Valley and, and much of the eastern, basically eastern half of U.S. has better, slightly increased chances for precipitation. So this is better news than we've had for a while, but unfortunately this doesn't fix the situation. And, and we're reaching a point in time during the year where it's, it's going to be really hard to fix the situation. The best I think we can hope for is to kind of get enough to keep us limping along so that you know areas across the northern part of the Corn Belt are going to continue in this kind of situation. Southern part of the Corn Belt have had a better chance, but even their high uh, crop water use rates have been a problem. So that's all I have from a, from a picture standpoint. I'd be happy to answer any questions. I wish I had a lot better news for you, but at least it's in the shorter term a, a somewhat of an improvement. Thanks, Dennis. Um, uh, in terms of um, uh, comments, actually, uh, Bruce, you had a, a really, a, a, you're going to turn it into a meteorologist, but you had a question about these uh, these snows out west or the lack of them, you know, showing up on the pictures there. You want to repeat your question a little bit? I'm just wondering if part of the problem with getting moisture up here is we don't have that pump we normally do is because it's been hot and dry in the southwest, uh, lack of snow in the mountains, that sort of thing. Uh, we're not getting those as many cool flows off of those mountains uh, to help get those that the, bring that moisture up from the Gulf. I, I might be wrong there. I'm just kind of curious. Sure, it, it's a good question. Um, we do get a little bit of moisture from the Pacific, but air that comes to us from the Pacific has to go across the mountains and doesn't because it's it's not an open water surface like the ocean is. It doesn't bring a lot of water with it. it does bring a little bit of moisture along with it. The main flows of water where we get is when we get uh, uh, southerly winds off the Gulf and they stay for a long period of time and they bring that moisture northward. Now that, that wind has been set up, but instead of coming northward all the way to the upper Midwest, it's been dropping a lot of the rainfall down in Texas, Louisiana. If you've been watching what's going down there, they're getting a lot of rain there. 
So the, the moisture is being tapped out into rainfall there, or it's being diverted kind of up the Ohio Valley. That's why the southern part of the Corn Belt has had some, some rains, better rains than, than we have. The moisture has just not made it up here. But then again, in most years, you know, crops are growing actively by this point. They're putting out a lot of moisture. You folks who are crops people know what a, what a field feels like this time of year as that crop is transpiring. That's not happening this year because it, the crop is, just doesn't have the water to work with. So Dennis, no. what, what, the, what conditions would kind of change things for us to, to bring some of that moisture more north instead of heading east and breaking east? Uh, is there anything that you can look at and say, you know, to make that happen, you know, what, what's the chance of that? Um, I mean, it, it can happen. And, and I've been looking at the longer term pattern of what the computer models are saying the long term flow is. Um, there are some opportunities that's going to come uh, for bringing that moisture northward. Unfortunately, as we get towards the middle part of summer, that's not as frequent a thing as it is in the springtime. So there will be some opportunities where we'll get some moisture here. Just we don't have as, as much as much coming from the south. Uh, and, and, and it doesn't look like we're going to get locked into a pattern where that's going to be a continuous thing. You know, some of those flood years that we've had, we get locked into a situation where there's just flow right off the Gulf all the way up, you know, up the Mississippi Valley, bringing, air, bringing uh, moisture to us. And that just hasn't happened this year for any extended period of time. Well, that, that fits into a question. There was one that came through on our Q&A area about, you know, the weather trends of the models. I don't know if you've seen other models that get midsummer, uh, uh, late summer. Um, but in your experience, I guess, Dennis, put on your, your hat here, your prognostication hat. Are, are we in more of a, you think, a short term or a longer term based upon everything else from La Nina to what's happening in the, in the southern states? A short term or longer term? In terms of drought, I mean. My, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, I well, again, by the time we reach midsummer, uh, if you look at climatology, um, we still expect. You know, climatology says we continue to get decent amounts of precipitation until midsummer. There's a whole other conversation there that's kind of interesting, but crops are using water more quickly even than we get precipitation as we get to midsummer. So we're drawing on that soil moisture bank account by this time of year. Unfortunately, the, the, the bank account is really very limited. Uh, so we don't have a lot to draw on. Uh, so we need at, at least, you know, at least something near climatology, which is inch-ish a week or something like that. Um, and, and I don't think we're going to continue to see that. So we're going to, you know, the, the best we can hope for is kind of thing, keep things limping along uh, as it looks right now. Now, North Dakota and South, the Western, the, the Western Dakotas have had some recovery. They're not, not fixed, but they've had, have had some recovery. Unfortunately, I just don't see enough of that over in our area to be able to, to do widespread improvement on that. So Dennis, I don't know if you can speak to this, but if we manage to kind of limp through the summer with, with a little bit of rain here and there and certainly not very an optimistic uh, outlook, but what sort of things would change or maybe recharge us headed into the following year, you know, the outlook for the, for the following season? Right, right. The, the fortunate thing is that, um, I, and I did some of this work on my PhD a long time ago, 
a long time ago, but there, you know, what happens in spring tends to carry over a little better into summer. The fortunate aspect is that summer doesn't carry on into fall. Patterns you have during the summer don't, you know, there's not really statistically a connection to what happens in the fall in the way of the overall pattern. So even if we're dry during the summer, we can shift once we get into late summer or fall and then start getting rainfall. So there's some optimism there that as we get into that, that fall pattern with the, with the larger scale, low pressure areas, we can get some moisture and help recover at that point. So uh, we'll, we'll hold out hope for that, that we get more. See, that was part of our problem. Again, re remembering last year, we didn't get a lot of help in the fall. So we had some dry soils coming on this year. So we'll be hopeful that, that, that the patterns shift as we get later into the summer, particularly and into the fall and start getting some rainfalls then. So weather, weather conditions and precip and temperature, not very optimistic. Um, you know, we can, can hold out a little bit of hope, but uh, also on the call today is Bruce. Uh, Bruce, uh, things uh, you deal with uh, tend to make things worse and some of these dry and hot conditions can exacerbate some of those problems. Do you wanna to speak to any of that? Uh, sure, we can, talk, we can talk a little bit. The reason I brought up that uh, question about the, the Rocky Mountains is, is we're not, the good news is we haven't picked up, uh, we haven't had those northerly flows bringing moisture, the low level jets, that sort of thing that we normally do in the spring. So our insect migrations have been um, fairly low. Uh, we do have quite a few aster leaf hoppers out there for vegetable growers, uh, that sort of thing. Um, Cutworm migration's been pretty slow, pretty slow, that sort of thing. So that's one positive aspect of, of the weather we've had. Um, the other things that are going on right now in alfalfa, we're these uh, alfalfa weevils tend to keep uh, defying the developmental models. So right now we've got uh, small larvae in, at Lamberton, we've got uh, pupae, we've got some adults that are emerging. And the thing, reason I'm bringing that up is in the second cutting, um, these adults that we're seeing now are not going to do much feeding. They're going to feed just a little bit, then they're going to estivate or, or take a break for the summer, uh, go off and, and base and then hibernate in the winter. Um, dry, dry soils and corn rootworms, uh, the models are saying these, uh, they should be hatching right now. Um, starting to see some fireflies. That uh, actually seems to be a pretty good predictor of, of uh, a phenological marker. But when we've got these dry soil conditions, uh, soybean cyst nematode, um, corn rootworms are, are impacting root systems and it's making it harder for those plants to uh, take up what limited moisture there is. So it's something we're gonna have to watch and, and uh, I'm a little worried about, uh, particularly in the non-rotated corn, uh, what kind of uh, Western corn rootworm pressure we're gonna have this year. Uh, we, we tried floating some larvae out yesterday. I think it's a little bit early and I haven't seen what they, what they found yet. Um, soybean cyst nematode, uh, we talked about this in the past, Ryan, but some of these new, uh, new soybean varieties that uh, are resistant, aren't actually all that resistant yet. And, and we're seeing some, some pretty, uh, pretty horrible soybean cyst nematode pressure on some of these resistant varieties. Females are coming out of the roots right now. So uh, it's not necessarily drought or iron chlorosis turning, turning some of these fields yellow. No, but before we get into maybe soybean gall midge, Bruce, do you want to just mention a little bit, look in the crystal ball? I know we're a ways away yet here, but um, people keep 
our eyes open on terms of uh, soybean aphid, uh, spider mites, and so forth? Obviously, we got you know weather's going to impact this. Well, we've definitely uh, soybean aphids. It seems uh, you know um, they should be in soybeans now. We've been looking, and we and it's unusual. We have not found an aphid yet at Lamberton, which. Um, I think when they were trying to move on to soybeans, uh, this hot, real hot, dry weather, uh, high winds that that uh, was pretty hard on them. We'll see what happens. There's there's still some time because because of the rapid reproduction. Uh, and really, right now, if this if this dry continues, and particularly if it stays hot, and we're getting uh, beans close to the reproductive stages, uh, spider mites or something, we really have to keep an eye on. And there's some issues with spider mites as far as resistance as well. So um, it's something we're going to have to hopefully, hopefully it cools off and we get some rain and, and uh, we can mitigate that problem a little bit. But right now it's definitely shaping up to be a spider mite year. Should they, um, people and, uh, and ag professionals uh, start looking for spider mites yet or is it still a bit early? It's still a bit early, uh, but but where you're going to start to see the mite damage uh, and, and mites is going to be uh, long perennial vegetation, things like alfalfa field where they, fields where they've been mowed, guys are starting to mow some of the ditches and, and take some grass hay, and, and that helps drive mites into, into the crops. So um, keep an eye on, on, I was looking at your background there, um, uh, Dave, and you know, this looks a little bit like spider mites or somebody got a little carried away with the herbicide on the edge of the field, but kind of look for uh, drying and bronzing plants on the edge of the field. Well, that's the experiment station. They want to keep it really neat looking yeah. at Rosemont. Um, I know this, this whole economic threshold thing, just before we leave spider mites, has always been up and down, but it's not anything really hard and fast you know, from, a, from an economic standpoint. Uh, no, I mean, it's not like it's not like a corn borer threshold or anything like that. And basically what you're looking at is damage and you're looking at damage progressing from the bottom to the top um, and and uh, and and uh, might still present. Um, a lot of times the damage is worse on the edge of the field, Dave, mm -hmm. and guys want to treat those borders. Sometimes you can get away with that, but you really have to scout that field pretty thoroughly because these mites get uh, moved around in the wind on uh, little silken threads. And, and uh, even though they look worse on the field, you could have populations starting further out too. So be careful of that if you're making a spray decision. So Bruce, you mentioned earlier the soybean cyst nematode and, and you know, pretty somewhat overlooked pest, I guess, for, for some people. They plant a resistant variety and kind of uh, you know check the box, so to speak. Um, this year, though, I mean, if, if people uh, uh, want to be more prudent about managing that pest, what kind of recommendations do you give them as far as getting out and checking fields, uh, um, you know, to try to determine kind of what kind of pressures they're dealing with in, in particular? Well, I think the first thing is to, is to uh, don't assume that because you've got a resistant soybean that it's actually managing or controlling soybean cyst nematode in the field particularly 88788 resistance. We've seen, we're seeing uh, um, more populations of SCN that are able to get around that. Um, if you start to see yellowing, uh, just don't assume it's uh, iron chlorosis. If you start to see stunting, potassium deficiency-like symptoms, 
uh, in, on the lighter ground and chlorosis symptoms on the heavy ground. Uh, look at some of those roots and don't just look one time during the year and give up because these uh, the nematodes go through several generations and depends on where you're at in that in, in that cycle you know, whether you can see the females on the outside of the root or if their eggs or larvae in, in the inside. So um, the other thing to do is take a soil test. Um, and if it's a resistant bean, um, we, we don't have all these varieties tested as far as actually how resistant they are. We're doing some of that. I think we, I think that's something that really needs to be focused on. But uh, take some soil tests, make sure you got a resistant variety and uh, try to switch it up from 88788 to uh, another source of resistance. Right now it's mostly Peking, um, just to try, to try to keep that resistance level down a little bit. So Bruce, do you want to touch maybe over the time we've got left a little bit on the gall midge and a little bit about uh, a, a seminar that's coming up and a, and a webinar next week? You want to hit both of those? Sure. Um, well, we are. We did start uh, Monday, and I think the we got a little bit of rain where we're we're doing our gall midge research in Rock County, and I think that finally stimulated some adults to emerge. So we have seen some adults starting to emerge. Um, it's a, they're getting a lot of emergence. They're a little bit worried in Nebraska about how much pressure there's actually going to be just be based on the number of adults they're catching. Um, so it's something we're going to have to watch out for. Fortunately, up to this point, we really haven't had a widespread problem with that insect in Minnesota. We can find it kind of through the Southwest, uh, but populations have been low enough uh, that we're not really seeing big yield impacts, that sort of thing. But it's definitely something. Uh, don't assume you've got a disease if you on the edge of your soybean field. Uh, you pull back some of that uh, outer layer of the stem. Look for the larvae underneath the stem. Um, let us know if you find them, by all means. Um, we talked a little bit uh, about uh, uh, spider mites and, and, and pesticide resistance. So on the 23rd, uh, the Southwest Research and Outreach Center has been doing a series once a month and, on advancing egg. And uh, next week on the 23rd, we're gonna talk about um, pesticide resistance, whether that's herbicides, fungicides, insects, and kind of, um, how do you know we've got we've got resistance? Because there's performance failures, you know, based on how things are applied or whether that sort of thing. But how do you sort out if it's resistance or if it's something else? And and uh, I think we're seeing more and more uh, issues with uh, across all the pest spectrum on on pesticide resistance. So I think it'd be a good discussion. We've got uh, people with a lot of experience on it. Tom Peters. Uh, uh, Ken Ostley, on, as far as BT, um, Ian McRae, uh, Dan Nielsen, if we can pull them out of the field long enough uh, this time of year from uh, Minnesota Independent Crop Consultants. So it should be a good, pretty informative thing. So what time was that starting, Bruce? Starts, uh, at, starts at 11 and uh, run, runs uh, as, long as, as long as we need it, but uh, we're going to definitely cut it off by noon. Okay, I think we put the URL on the bottom there, Ryan did. Yep, I put a link in there for the advancing egg series that Bruce just talked about. Uh, and then I'm going to put in a second link in there uh, that Jared, if he's on, maybe wants to mention. But the, the small grains folks are making a tour this coming week. Uh, and for folks that want to learn a little bit more about small grains production and visit some of their uh, uh, sites uh, throughout the, the part, the, at least the
I think you muted yourself there, Ryan. Sorry, uh, yeah. the second link I'm putting in there is about the there small grains tour. Uh, anyways, there's a uh, there's a tour happening this coming week. If you want to learn more about small grains uh, and get a chance to visit with Yoakum and Jared, they're going to be making their way across the state uh, to their various sites. So another opportunity this coming week. Okay. Um, anything else, uh, Bruce, before I go back to Dennis for just a bit? No, just uh, pays, to, pays to get out and look at stuff and uh, not make any assumptions as far as what's causing it, uh, do a little detective work. So hopefully hopefully we get some uh, some better weather here and things straighten out a little bit. Okay, we have one there. Say, De Dennis, I noticed you, you left one slide untouched there. It was a conclusion slide uh, on the bottom. I want to see your, your predictive ability. I don't know if you could pull that up yet or not. Actually, I, I didn't update it from the last time I talked oh, to you okay, guys, okay. so so we're not going to show it. All right, <laughs> so, all right. Well, one, just just verbalize it, I guess. Yeah, maybe yeah. I mean, next week, uh, you know, next week and into the latter part of June, a um, little bit cooler conditions, better chances of some rainfall. Again, some optimism over that period of time. Out beyond that, it's not. Uh, you know, we don't have good indications one way or the other. Certainly, uh, by this time of year, warmer and drier conditions are a more likely candidate anyway. So it's going to be really touch and go as we go through much of the middle part of the growing season here. Okay. Well, we'll we're uh, maybe we need to hold you to that, Dennis, and check in next week and, and uh, <laughs> see whether or not that really comes to fruition. We just we don't want to have you know have Iowa have all the rain, so we got to share some. Um, across the border, we're, Ryan, we're, we're just, we're, raise their, raise we're just gonna put, we're gonna put a big wall right <laughs> at Iowa and Minnesota and keep all the rain down here. Well, we'll need a little bit here. Uh, go, go through the, to keep the drivers down there too. Uh, it's an old joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Terry got their question answered, but uh, Jared put uh, kind of uh, one for Bruce, I guess, in here about any reason why the weevils might not have been following the developmental models this year? Um, I, I don't know if it's, if it's just a, a temperature thing, but but there are there's apparently two biotypes of those alfalfa weevils. And, and I think if you get a mix of them, things get spread out. And I think all the development work was done with the Eastern strain. And it, right now in, in the Western part of Minnesota, it's a, it's a different strain that doesn't uh, that 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 doesn't lay eggs in the any legs egg lay any eggs in the fall. It's all in the spring, so the sink is off between them. And you get up into central Minnesota, and you've got kind of a seems like you've got a mix of both. And then things get really strange up there. But that's that's my hypothesis, anyhow, on what's going on. I don't you know. I don't have haven't done the DNA on them at all. So. Um... Jared Goplin, uh, why don't you come back on here, open your video or your uh, unmute yourself. Uh, there are some small grain uh, seminars coming up here this next week for the state of Minnesota. And then um, I want to know if you still have any of that water hemp in, Min in western Minnesota, if you killed it all. You're, you're, you're muted, Jared, can't hear you. Okay. No, can you hear me now? Yep. Uh, yeah. So uh, fortunately, the water hemp's all gone. So thanks, thanks, Dave. There. 
Um, but yes, we do have our small grain updates, uh, our field tours coming up next week in southern Minnesota. So we'll be at Rochester, uh, La Center, Lamberton, New Alm, Benson, and in Becker. So if uh, any of the folks in southern Minnesota want to come out and learn a little bit about small grains, uh, both myself and Yoakum and maybe even Bruce will show up at a, at a couple locations uh, to talk about all your small grain questions. We'll talk, you know, cover crops. Obviously, a lot of folks are using small grains for cover crops. So that topic always comes up as well forages, uh, you name it. But um, if you want to check those out, uh, let us know or uh, follow the link that Ryan put in the chat there earlier. So we'd be happy to have you. So are the small grain meetings also going to take place, obviously, in northwestern Minnesota at a different time? Yeah. So if uh, those of you that are in northwest Minnesota, we will have a number of locations that will take place a little bit later. Uh, those, those will be a little bit later into July. Um, at four different locations throughout the Red River Valley, uh, really starting from Fergus Falls all the way up uh, up nearly near the Canadian border there. That's good. And I think we also have, uh, Ryan, uh, a virtual or, or tour of some of the Wasika research that's going to be coming up here uh, in um, tomorrow, is it? Or a couple of days and no, so forth. No, it's but next week too. I next week, okay. 22nd. I can put that link in here momentarily. All right, okay. So that's the other... I believe that's going to be um, um, a virtual. We will have other uh, seminars and, and uh, obviously in-person events. Um, in I know at Rosemont and in Bruce, I think you will also at Lamberton later in the summer as well. Yep. Okay, and stay, stay tuned and watch for that. Yeah, and, and, and if anybody hasn't seen Gall Midge, and I'm assuming they're they're going to progress like they normally are, we'll try to get uh, some set, something set up for people to see those in person and... Uh, once you see them, it's you won't you won't mistake them for anything else again. But it's that first first look at them that's kind of impressive. Okay, and uh, Dennis is the drought map an updated one coming out on a Thursdays now and or uh, one tomorrow. Yep, there will be an updated one tomorrow. Just a reminder to people too: if you have local impacts, you can pass them on to me. You can pass them on. I assume the extension folks or the state climate office. We love. We don't love to hear the impacts, but it's good for us to be able to hear the impacts to connect with what the data says from a precipitation standpoint. So we always want to be able to he hear what's going on locally. Yeah, that's Kenny Blumenthal and, and people A in our DNR office uh, uh, running those as, as well uh, with that. Um, Ryan, anything else here? Uh, we're a little past eight o'clock, but I just thought I'd give you one last shot. I think we've covered it all. Thanks, Dave. Okay. All right. Well, we thank folks for uh, attending. Uh, we'll, we'll be back here uh, next week, same time, um, on Wednesdays at 730 uh, with a uh, field notes uh, crop update. When you leave today, there is a short three-question survey. Ask you to take the time to fill those out. And uh, we appreciate your feedback and, uh, and suggestions, uh, for that matter, uh, as well as we uh, go forward here with that. So again, I'd like, like to say thanks to uh, Dr. Dennis Toddy, uh, USDA um, and uh, ARS uh, Director of the Midwest Climate Hub, Bruce Potter out at uh, Lamberton uh, at Southwest Research and Outreach Center, IPM specialist, and uh, co-hosts here, uh, Ryan Miller and our, and our pop-up uh, host here, co-host uh, Jared Goplin uh, out from Western Minnesota uh, as well. So thank you again for attending. Make sure you fill out that survey and uh, thanks again. And we hope to see you folks uh, a week from today, which would put us back on June 23rd. Thank you.